This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I thank you for this opportunity to come together with uh, the saints and once again look at your word uh, preached. I thank you, Lord, that this morning uh, you uh, we get to be blessed by, by your servant, Michael, and Thank you for the ways, Lord, that you have gifted him, the ways that uh, you have inspired him to devote himself to your word and to prayer. Uh, Father, we, we pray as we come to this time of your word, as we just sang, that you would plant your seed deep in us, that you would open up our hearts, that you would bring about full obedience to your word. And Father, we know all of this is only possible through our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we, we look forward to to another reason to, to, to give you glory through our brother Michael. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you all. It is a joy and a privilege to be here. If you, um, if you would open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Um, but I cannot thank you enough for having me. Um, I bring you warm Christian greetings from your brothers and sisters at Trinity at the Marketplace. And I'm super excited for us to study this passage and to remember the unity that we have in Christ already and to build one another up in that unity. So let me read Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 for us and, uh, and then we'll jump in to the text together. Uh, hear God's word. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, th uh, this passage is telling us um, uh, what we're doing uh, as church. 
Uh, what it means for us to be and to build the church. Uh, the, the center of the passage is maturity, uh, but you can see all of the unity language that runs all the way through it. And in the fragmented world that we live in, everyone likes the idea of unity. It's a trendy idea, isn't it? Everyone loves the idea of unity. Uh, people even long for and really want unity. The problem is that our world's approach to unity is unity without truth. They think that truth brings division and not unity. And so their solution is to say that everyone can have the truth that is right for them, and then we can all just pretend to get along. But it's a facade. And the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says that true unity can only be brought about by the truth of the gospel. And therefore, as those who believe the gospel, as those who trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we're united already. And now we're actually able to live in light of that unity by the grace of God. We don't have to try and forge it. We simply recognize it and maintain it. And that's why it's important for us to remember where we're at in the, in the letter to the Ephesians uh, as we begin. Because we're at a watershed point in the letter where Paul moves from telling us what God has done for us by his grace to telling us what God will do through us by his grace. So the first three chapters, you know, Paul's letters often work this way, right? They, they, uh, they divide in half in a way uh, where the first half is an exposition of the gospel and the second half is an uh, application of the gospel. And Ephesians is no different, right? Chapters one through three, exposition of the gospel. Chapters four through six, application of the gospel, right? So uh, the first three chapters, Paul has been focusing more on the indicatives, more on our identity in Christ as Christian believers, on who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. He's been unpacking the gospel of grace for us, but now we get a really big therefore in chapter four, verse one, I therefore. Uh, and Paul begins to focus more on the imperatives, on how we are now able to live in Christ, how we can live in light of the gospel. Now, now there's, there's uh, indicatives all the way through, there's teaching all the way through, even in the back half of the letter, he's gonna be reminded reminding us of everything that we have in Christ, right? So, so don't think of it as, uh, as, as really a solid division, right? You've got indicatives and imperatives running all the way through, but Paul's been telling us everything that we have in Christ, uh, who we are in Christ, and now he's transitioning to tell us this is how we get to live in Christ now. And the repeated word uh, in, in the section from chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 20, is the word walk. I just want you to see it with me. Uh, so look at, uh, look at 4, 1. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then just look down to to chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then look to chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Do you see the language running all the way through this section, right? From 521 to 69, the language is going to be worship as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord in all the different categories of your life, Christian, do it as unto the Lord Jesus. It's worship. Your church family relationships, worship. Your marriage relationship, worship. Your parenting relationship, worship. Your family relationships, worship. Your work relationships, worship, right? So do you see what Paul's doing? This, you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chapter one, verse three, right? This is everything that you have in Christ, Christian. This is who you are in Christ. This is your real identity as the child of God And now you get to walk this way, walk worshiping King Jesus in every area of life. You get what he's doing? We've got the scope and now we're in the center of that, right? The passage revolves around the Christian's walk and to walk is a step-by-step progress in a particular direction. It refers to how we live our lives as Christian believers, And by the grace of God, we are actually able to walk wholeheartedly in the way of God's word. I'm actually preaching a series on Psalm 119 right now Uh, at Trinity. That's the psalmist prayer. What Trinity at the marketplace is learning right now is to pray, to sing even with the psalmist in 119. Oh, teach me your word that I may walk in your ways. What an exciting life. It's an, I'm about to preach 119. I'm going to rein it in. What an exciting life. What an exciting life. That's what we actually get to do by the grace of God. And in terms, in terms of the unity and the maturity of the church, the body of Christ, that will involve being who we are in Christ and building who we are in Christ. What Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 is, is what we're doing as church. Being the church and building the church. So we're gonna have a look at this passage together under two headings. We are already unified in Christ, first of all, and then secondly, we are to grow up in unity. So let's have a look at it together. First of all, we are already united in Christ. 
brothers and sisters, the take your breath away, absolutely amazing, has been made possible, masterpiece of God is, are you ready for it? The church. Should I say that again? The take your breath away, absolutely amazing, has been made possible. Masterpiece of God is the church. Through the cross of Christ, Christian believers have been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. So just glance over to chapter 2 and verse 14 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And have a look at what Paul says. For he, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The dividing wall of hostility has been smashed down by the wrecking ball of the gospel. As those who trust in Jesus, there is now peace where there had once been warfare. There is now unity where there had once been division. In the gospel and only in the gospel, we are united to God and we are united to one another already. You see, what humanity and what any human systems could never do, God has done. He's brought us together as brothers and sisters in Christ through the gospel because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And it's really important for us to recognize that this is a given unity. We are already unified. We are not looking to be unified. Are you with me? We're we're not looking to be unified. We are unified already in the gospel in Christ. We're unified in the truth of the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus. It is given by the Holy Spirit. It is grounded in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ as our substitute in our place for his people on the cross and it's ours as those who trust in Jesus and rely on him. And that's what Paul's talking about. Look again back into chapter four now and we'll stay in chapter four. Verses one to three again. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called in the gospel with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see the maintaining language? It's not to get, because it's been given to us. It's to maintain, to maintain what has already been given to us. We are already united as Christians And we are to be eager to maintain what has already been given to us in Christ. And wonderfully, we are assured that he will give us the grace to be able to do it. Because maintaining this unity is costly, isn't it? Maintaining this unity is costly because there are lots of things that would spoil this unity. Just think about those words again in verse 2. Humility, gentleness, 
patience, bearing with one another in love, those are lovely words. But they're also very costly ones because they speak of self-sacrifice. They speak of giving away in love to each other, of loving each other in outstretched ways, as Peter talks about. See, we need to have humility because pride will spoil unity. We need to have gentleness because crushing people to get what we want will spoil unity. We need to have patience because impatience will spoil unity. We need to bear with one another because dropping each other will spoil unity. The lifestyle that maintains the given unity of the Spirit is the grace-enabled lifestyle of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love. The lifestyle that walks with and worships the risen and reigning King Jesus. And it actually springs out of what we believe. Remember, we're united in Christ, in the truth of the gospel. So this springs out of what we believe. You see, it is not the strength of our love for each other which gradually winches us together in the Christian faith. It's our shared belief in God and his word. It's our belief in the Bible together. And that's why Paul goes on to this sevenfold one in verses four to six. Uh, he wants to show us this, what, what this one unity looks like. And, um, and, and these verses were possibly an, an early creedal statement for the church, right? With this sevenfold one. Look at it with me in verse 4. There is, see, he's talking about, reali- he's talking about realities here, right? He's not saying we're trying to get to this. He's saying there, we are this, okay? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see that one, 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 one language? He's, uh, the, the emphasis again is the given unity that we already have as Christians. This is the unity that has been brought about by the gospel of Jesus. We have been reconciled to God. We have been reconciled to God in only one way, only in Jesus. And that means that we are fundamentally one. We are members of the same body. Uh, uh, it, it would be important at this stage just to say if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not uh, a Christian believer, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. We're super, super, super thankful that you're here. A very, very warm welcome to you. And there are lots of people around who would love to get to know you and to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, you need to hear at this point that there is only one way to be reconciled to God. And that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ, to trust and rely on Jesus' finished work on the cross, that he performed perfectly in your place for all of the ways that you have failed, and that he paid the price for you on the cross. 
and that if you will repent and trust in him, he will forgive you and restore you to right relationship with God. He will reconcile you to God and he will reconcile you to the people of God and he will absolutely tra transform your life. And uh, we're glad you're here and we're glad you're learning about Jesus and we would love to talk to you about him. So please grab any one of us and we'll be glad. Uh, to talk to you. Christian believer, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt's been put away. You've been restored to right relationship with God and to right relationship with one another. It's not something that you could work up yourself. You couldn't do it. Wonderfully, he's done it for you. What does it mean? We're fundamentally one. One, 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 one. The language of verses four to six. We are united as one body by Christ. And the one spirit is planted in each one of us who believe. And together we have one hope, blessed assurance of future fulfillment, the consummation of the kingdom. We, we share allegiance to one Lord expressed by one faith, the faith, definite, definite article. Uh, the good deposit, the Bible, the good news about Jesus. Uh, one faith in the Lord Jesus, which unites us in one baptism into Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so unites us as one people. And as that one people, we have one God and Father. As those who trust in the Lord Jesus. And because of the truth... This is what is common for every believer. And wonderfully, that means that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom. Isn't that great? See, I think one of the things that, that Paul's addressing in Ephesians, in Ephesians is that there were some Gentile believers who were, who were feeling uh, like they were second-class citizens in the kingdom. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the case. No second-class, no, we're all saved on exactly the, in exactly the same way on exactly the same terms by exactly the same person, Jesus, his finished work, right? Uh, equal at the foot of the cross, right, is the language that Christians will often use for that, right? There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We belong to Christ and we belong to one another. There are no special categories. There are no special groups. We are all ever and only sinners saved by grace. We are saved in the same way, only in Jesus. So we're in. We're in. If you believe in Jesus, you're in. You're in. And you are united to him and to your fellow brothers and sisters in him. And by his grace, we're meant to be eager to maintain the unity that he's already given to us. And the great news is that he helps us with this maintenance by his grace as well. And that leads to our second heading. Uh, we are to grow up into unity. We are united in Christ already. And we are to grow up into the unity that is ours in him. Uh, you, you may have heard that old poem that says, To dwell above with the saints we love, my, that will be glory. To dwell below with the saints we know is quite a different story. <laughs> <laughs> 
we all feel it, don't we? <laughs> we, are, we are desperately needy. Are we not, brothers and sisters? We are desperately in need of His grace to maintain this unity of the Spirit and to attain to this unity of the faith. And, uh, and the wonderful news is that he, that he gives gifts to His people in order to be able to do these things. So He's rescued us by His grace. He's made us one by His grace. And He actually gives us His grace gifts to be able to build one another up so that we're able to grow up in Him. So, so here's the logic of the text. It's around this maintaining the unity of the Spirit and attaining the unity of the faith language that Paul uses. Okay? And here's the logic of the text. We are united already, and at the same time, we are to grow up into unity. This is why being the church is such a brilliant thing and such a wonderful blessing and so, so brilliantly exciting. And this is why the idea of a Christian that is not committed to the local church is such a bizarre thing. That's just living out of touch with reality and not helpful for the person or for anybody else. Because we actually get to grow up into unity. We are what we've seen already. We are profoundly united in Christ through the gospel. But as the gospel more and more transforms our lives, we actually experience that unity more and more and can put it on display more and more. Right? The gospel is the power of God. Don't you, don't you love that language in Romans 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. The dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite from. It's the blow up, explosive. The God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save all those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But Paul brings up that kind of language again with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. In Acts 20, in Acts 20 verse 32, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the gospel, the, right? The word of his grace, which is able to build you up as it is doing among all those who are being sanctified. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save all those who believe. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to sanctify, to change, to transform all those who believe. Do you see Cedar Springs Church? That's why you guys camp out in the gospel <laughs> and you don't move on from it. Amen. Yeah, amen. You with me? Right? You camp out in the gospel. We camp out in the gospel because we, we are preaching the gospel to, to non-believers for their conversion and we're preaching the gospel to believers for their transformation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save those who believe and to change those who believe. And, 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 and so the, as the gospel more and more transforms our lives, we experience that unity more and more. The bookends of our passage this morning actually focus us in on the Christian's maturity. So, so 
the life worthy of the calling to which you have been called in verse 1, and that expression there in verse 15 at the end, that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, those are the same thing. The growing up is the same as the leading a life worthy of the calling God has given to us. And we, and, 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 and we have been given the grace of different gifts in the body to be employed to maintain the unity of the Spirit that is already ours in Christ and to grow in the unity of the faith that we have in Christ. These gifts come to us by His grace, and although the gifts differ, the giver is one and the same. And I think that's the point of verses 7 to 10, that, that language that can get super confusing and go all over the place, right? Look at verse uh, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions the earth he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things i think it just means that jesus is the boss and he gives gifts to his people <laughs> i'm just trying to cut it as straight as i can for you Jesus is Lord. He is the risen and reigning king. I mean, Paul is banging on about that all the way through the letter. Jesus is the risen and reigning king, right? The plan and the purpose of God to have his king on the throne reigning forever is, is never in jeopardy, <laughs> right? The plan's happening. Jesus has his enemies as a footstool under his feet, and he's got his friends hanging out with him, right? My king on my throne forever and ever, the plan and purpose of God, it's never in jeopardy. It's never in doubt. It's in play. He's got his king, right? Yeah, he's crushed Satan, the snake crusher, done on the cross, the principalities and powers. And you know what, church? Oh, just enjoy this. You, church, the redeemed of the Lord, are God's megaphone to hell saying, my king won. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That, be encouraged. We are unified and, and we can do this unity thing because King Jesus reigns. I think that's what those verses are about. Right? Jesus is Lord. He's the risen and reigning king. Creation is his, and he graciously gives gifts to his people. So, so the imagery here is of the, of the Roman emperor returning from a victorious battle and bringing with him the spoils of war so, so that as he's paraded around, he could pass out all of these gifts to those who follow him. But the really interesting thing is that, Saul, that, that, that Paul quotes Psalm 68. And Psalm, he quotes uh, Psalm 68, verse 18 in particular, but Psalm 68 actually celebrated the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem in David's day. And it traces the whole history of Israel, telling us that God rescued his people out of the land of slavery in Egypt, that he graciously brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the law and the covenant, and that he led them on to Mount Zion. 
Zion to David's city. And now the ark comes to dwell in the city of God. Uh, but I think Paul is, is, is going to that psalm because he wants us to know as Christian believers that all of that, everything that's talked about in Psalm 68, actually foreshadows the greater and better day, the greater and better victory, the greater and better triumph of bringing God's Son to glory after he finished his great work of redemption when he died on the cross in the place of sinful people and rose again in order to rescue rebels like us. Jesus is the fulfillment of what, of what Psalm 68 is all about. He is the victorious and ascended, risen and reigning King. Jesus has justified us freely by his grace and given us the gift of salvation. Past, present and future. <laughs> I have been saved and being saved shall be saved. It's glorious. It's his work. He's done it. He's given it to us. And he can share his gifts with those he wants because he is the sovereign king. Amen. Jesus left heaven and came down to, to perform perfectly for us and to pay the price for us. He was victorious on the cross. He triumphed over and conquered all of the hostile forces of evil. And he declared his victory to them all. And he ascended back into heaven. And now he sits at the Father's right hand. He sits down. The writer to the Hebrews makes a big stink of that, right? He sits down. When do you sit down? You sit down when your work is finished. He sits down at the Father's right hand, and from that position of supreme authority, as part of his victory parade, he calls the church to receive the gifts of his grace so that we might live out in the world his glorious victory, that we might put it on display to the watching world. Now, the gifts listed here are not all of the gifts. Of course, you've got other gift lists in the New Testament, right? So the ones that Paul lists out uh, here in, uh, in, in uh, 11 to 14 are not all of the gifts. Um, but the gifts that he does list out here for a purpose are all channels of God's word to his people. So now we're engaging on uh, what it means for us to be and build the church, and the focus of it, and the focus of it is the Word of God, right? Because all of the gifts that he does mention here all concern the, the, the Word of God on which the church is built. So pick up with me at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, it's all maturing, building, growing up language so that we may no, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So, so the apostles and the prophets are the foundational gifts. 
the, re the revelation of God in Scripture, the special revelation from God that comes to us through the Bible, God's penmen, the apostles, and the prophets, and then the evangelists and the shepherds' teachers. That's one rule, not two shepherds' teachers. Uh, take what has been given to us through the apostles and the prophets in the scriptures and communicate it to the people of God. But they do it for a purpose. Why do they do this word work? Why this concentration on the word here, these word gifts here? What's the purpose? It's to equip all Christians for the work of ministry. So the word workers equip every Christian believer to do their work of speaking the truth of God's word in love so that the church is built up. So just look at it in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> uh, we had saints language a few verses earlier. Saints simply means all believers. Right? Saints is the New Testament word for every Christian believer. Remember, no special categories. <laughs> right? No second-class citizens. If there are no second-class citizens, there are no first-class citizens. Right? Saints is just the New Testament word for every believer, every Christian, all of God's people. And equip refers to the idea of mending nets. So it's actually the word that's used uh, for the disciples when the disciples were mending their nets. They were equipping their, their nets. So, so follow it now. The word is taught to all of God's people, the saints, to repair the damage in our lives, to equip us to build up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith maturing, knowing Jesus more fully in relational terms, walking with him and worshiping him, entering into the fullness of Christ. So the word ministries equip all of us to minister the word to one another. Are you following what Paul's doing? So what are we doing as church? Being who we are in Christ and building who we are in Christ. And how is that done? The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word ministries equip us all to minister the gospel to one another and to the world in loving service. The key activity, the driver in this passage, is speaking the truth of God's Word in love. That's not just saying two things, right? That's not just saying, you know, Grant, when I told you last week that your haircut was really nice, I was lying. Your haircut's awful. That's not what Paul's talking about here, right? The speaking the truth in love, the content of the truth is the Word of God. Are you with me? The gospel. We're, we're gospeling each other if I can make up a word, right? We're, we're speaking the truth of God's Word, 
to one another in love. So, God's word that has been taught to us by the evangelists and the shepherd teachers that has been received from the apostles and the prophets, right? So we build one another up in maturity. This is equipped Christians doing building work as they speak the Bible to one another. This is how we grow as a stable and effective church. This is what keeps us from being knocked off course or distracted. This is what shows the world God's love in action. Our truthing each other. That's actually how Paul says it in the original, the speaking the truth in love. Truthing one another in love as Jesus holds us together and grows us up in him. And every Christian has a part to play. We are all involved in this work together. It is as we speak the Bible truth of God's grace to one another that we help one another grow. This is something that I think we're learning at Trinity at the Marketplace, just for your encouragement. Uh, to, to happily, submittedly sit under the word of God uh, with, with glad hearts and be equipped by the word of God to be able to gospel one another, to encourage one another so that people are actually just getting together to talk Bible stuff, right? That's great. That's great. Uh, uh, just meeting in the week to encourage each other in the gospel. Uh, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Uh, that's, that's what Paul's on about. That's what Paul's on about. So here's the big question, brothers and sisters. Are you and I going to participate? It's where the passage presses us, isn't it? Are you and I going to participate? Are we going to contribute? Jesus is building his church ultimately. Praise Jesus that he is. His gospel is what brings us together and gives us unity and grows us up. But this passage says that he gives gifts to his people to equip every one of us to build up the church. Gifts that help us to know and to tell the truth uh, so that the church is built up. So, so, so are we going to be involved? Are we going to participate? Uh, don't hear me in any kind of legalistic way here. I'm just throwing up ideas for you. Um, are we going to, are, 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 you know, when the, when the Bible passage gets sent out in the week, are we going to read it and pray through it and, and be eager to hear it preached on Sunday? Are we going to show up a little bit early uh, just to be prepared for that? Are we going to hang out uh, afterwards? in intentional ways and uh, gospel one another. I, uh, I knew a great brother at a church in, uh, in Oxford who, um, who, as he was in conversation with people after the morning assembly, was just always trying to think of verses that fit the context of the con conversation and just, just throw those verses in. It was great. It was wonderful to watch him do with people. Oh yeah, that reminds me of Jude 24 and 25. Great. <laughs> It's great. Uh, are we going to be involved? 
are we going to be involved? <laughs> we gather as church to be who we are as the body of Christ and to build up who we are in Christ. So will we play our part in God's plan and purpose to be and build up the church? Uh, this is bodybuilding work. I have to repent of my jealousy as I look at Grant. <laughs> but here's uh, church, here's our bodybuilding work. Here's our bodybuilding work. Receiving God's word through the gift of his Bible teachers and then taking that word and engaging the body as we speak it to one another. Seems to me that in announcements, there's a great opportunity to be involved in that, right? Uh, with with, the, with this child, the children, uh, you know, whatever the class is. Um, you get to give the word away. You get to give the word away, build up the church. That's cool. That's cool. God's providing the opportunities. He'll give the grace for it. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Well, when we do this, we're taking part in what God is doing in the world right now. We're engaging in God's great plan and purpose to build the body of Christ, the church, and we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Thanks so much for having me. It's been such a joy. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for your redeeming grace. Thank you that this is love, not that we loved you, because we certainly didn't, but that you loved us and you sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you so much that because of Jesus' most precious blood shed for us, we belong to you forever and ever and ever. Your Holy Spirit dwells in us. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the men that you've gifted. Uh, to preach your word, Lord. Uh, and uh, we pray that we would uh, happily uh, receive it. Thank you so much that all of us as Christians uh, get to word one another. We get to encourage each other in the gospel. Uh, we get to uh, build one another up as we, uh, as we uh, remind each other of your grace. Uh, in the gospel. We pray that you would help us to do that, Lord. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for Cedar Springs, this local expression of your church around the world. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe. Thank you that, uh, 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 Lord Jesus, that you, the risen and reigning King, are getting the gospel out to the globe. Thank you that you are uh, pleased to... Uh, to have us participate in that, that you're pleased to, to use us to, to do gospel things in and through us for your glory. Thank you that by your grace we can build one another up as well. And uh, we cry out to you for help and for strength and for grace for all of these things. And uh, we pray that you would get all of the glory. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.